This is a mini-episode of Ixun Draconis, a conversation between Calgren and myself that was recorded back in early July, which is why it has an earlier episode number than the last episode or two we've released. Uh, this is a wide-ranging conversation across Ixun Draconis's timeline. Occasionally we reference a timetable, but don't feel particularly bound by it. This is freeform, unscripted, and there are any number of corrections and comments in the show notes. Uh, enjoy. Welcome to Radio Free Deimos, an Ixun Draconis fan podcast broadcasting from ASAP Hall at Lake Voltaire on Deimos. The Deimos Board of Tourism wants to tell you about our newest tourist attraction, the Bullmore Bowling Alley. I, 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 I just can't read that one anymore. Okay. <laughs> With me today in the studio is Calgren from the HSD Discord channel. Calgren, uh, what's your species? I'm an otter. Yay! Welcome aboard. He has been having a lot of fun with our microgravity, sticking to the ceiling, etc., etc. No more mustelids on this program, please. Hey, come on, it's fun. I have a low fun tolerance. So, Cochrane is joining me this week to talk about the history of the HSD universe, and I'm very excited about it. Every time I start talking about facts, the other hosts fall asleep, so I'm very happy to have someone here who likes Minutia as much as I do. Uh, Cochrane... Calgren, how long have you been playing Ixun Dragonus? Uh, I just started this year, uh, about two or three months ago. I started about two or three months ago, and uh, it was in Blackpaw's campaign, and that's still going on, and I'm very much enjoying that one. I, I guess it'd be kind of hard to be playing Ixun Dragonus for several years. You couldn't have grown up on this one. Uh, not really. I actually backed a the core extended. I wish I had backed the original core, but that was about two two years ago. But I haven't gotten to touch it. That sounds about right. I discovered Ixen Draconis with the extended Kickstarter as well. I missed the first core one and just saw it kind of after the fact. So I wish I'd been able to support the first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I especially wanted to be able to get the Mars Code toggle, but I guess that'll, that, that'll just have to wait. Because then I'd be able to fling something around the this, this office. Yeah, again, the microgravity. It wouldn't actually land. Oh. I guess the Kickstarter is actually kind of one of the reasons we're talking today, because with the lore book coming out, I wanted to establish our view of history before uh, Sev talked about his. <laughs> oh, definitely. So in establishing an Ixern Draconis history, I have had a lot of problems with kind of dating in Ixen Draconis. Well, I guess the, the girls just aren't really coming out for you. That, that's, that's probably accurate. It's a long drive anyway. <laughs> well, a long flight too. <laughs> and also, you know, you think you've established a clear, a clear date, but then turns out that, you know, never, you know, when, wait, I had a line. Puns aside, <laughs> 
there is a lot of kind of vague and vague and ambiguous material in the Eccentriconus timeline. The entire chronology is really kind of soaked in canon doubt and uncertainty. And Sev's talked about this a bit online. It seems like um, a lot of the blank spaces there are spaces for the game master to kind of adapt and make the game his own. Which is something I really like. It's uh, You get to explore and make up all sorts of stuff that you want. And... And if you're really good at it, you, uh, the player can wreak havoc on the GM. Yes, technically, yes. <laughs> Though if you can wreak havoc with a history lesson, you're doing really well. So even starting out the history was kind of tricky for me because just knowing when zero was, I think it tripped both of us up. Yeah, it's like, I always thought it was like uh, shortly after the 21st century when the Geomat was first created. And then it says later on that about 700 years ago when the Geomat was first created. And so I figured I'd pinpoint the start of it all as within the 21st century, maybe maybe uh, early to mid 22nd century. And then the zero mark would be somewhere between there and the destruction of Earth. So your timeline personally starts pretty far in the future. You're talking about over 150 years from now. Yeah. In my version, which I think was more like uh, more Shadowrun-inspired, I started in like 2035 or so, a much more like within-my-lifetime timetable. I don't know why. Well, I do know why, because the book started with uh, sometime in the late 20, early 20th century, their, the global village, et cetera, et cetera, developed, and they talked about the Internet culture that's developing now. So for me, it just felt logical to string it together. But then... Then the Earth ended really quickly, so that was kind of bothersome. Yeah. It felt very claustrophobic. <laughs> it does. It does. It's like all of a sudden Earth is no longer viable to go back to, and there's just the cosmos of space. Kind of a reverse claustrophobia. I don't know what that would be called. <laughs> uh, there's a word for that. Space agoraphobia. Oh, yeah. That'd be it. So the timeline for Exodraconus really fundamentally begins with the creation of the Geomat. That's like the first science fictional thing that happens. And I don't think we can't we can't say that's 2035 because everybody else thinks that's crazy. Um, 2200 seems a little late for me. So we'll just call it 35 or 50 before the end of Earth. <laughs> you got it. Uh, 60 AE, or negative 60 AE. So I guess I'm going to call that personally about 70 AE. These are totally estimated numbers, but that seems like enough time for civilization to completely blow itself up. So we've got the geomat as kind of the first part of the official HSD timetable. Everything else we can kind of pin real Earth dates to. What are some of the other really crucial events in the history of Vector Society? Ah, uh, let's see. There's the there's the Rabbit Race Wars. Yeah, that's a that's a late one. I think that's like in the last two hundred years. I'm trying to think of an earlier one. I would say the end of all life on Earth is a big one. Yeah, definitely a big very, one. Very significant. Um, 
the the blowing up of all things is one of the main like dating points for the entire 750 year history of HSD. Another big one is uh, Generation One, the first vector birth. It's a very vector centric history. And then the next big one after that is the Golden Generation, when all the mis mistakes or morphisms came in. Yeah, uh, they get a lot more. Um, I think because of that and the owls coming out at the same time, Generation t Generation Two gets a lot more press than Gen 3, which was kind of a success story overall. Between those two dates, there's um, there's a lot of hazy. Sev has hinted at this, and will probably be mentioned in the lore book, that shortly after, well, <laughs> coincidentally, at about the same time that the Earth blew itself up, humanity had a massive period of species-wide depression. And during that time, a lot of data was lost, a lot of information going back and forth between Terra and Mars was lost, and people just weren't keeping records because they were busy having a species-wide sob fest. That's suggested as the reason why no one knows why the bears were created. So there's kind of this information dark ages for at least a few days, a few years, and a lot of the canon doubt and uncertainty in the timeline kind of hinges on that, on us not knowing really what the past what the past was, except for the information that Mars Coast fed us. One of the really common questions we have over Discord is that people don't know what information made it from Terra, whether they recorded, you know, the best of 80s music, which I certainly hope they did, or whether the entire corpus of Freakazoid or the, the complete works of Shakespeare, what made it across the information void? And we really don't know. I mean, we know that there's some Reddit stuff, maybe all of Wikipedia, the major information resources. But when you get right down to it, there's no way of knowing what actually made the jump across space because we don't know what was saved before Earth evaporated and humanity really wasn't organized at the time. And that's why I kind of think there's a, a dark age here. Yeah. And it may not be long. It's just enough time for humanity to kind of get its act together and deal with the fact they've got a bunch of baby vectors running around, which would be a really great TV show. But um, I think a lot of the haze in the timeline comes from this. About when on the timeline was it that they uh, were evacuating? Evacuating Earth? Uh, that was around Gen 2. Well, no, it wouldn't have been Gen 2. Um, Mars primary space was destroyed by a hemivector terrorist. Yeah, hemivector terrorist. That was, that was when... Yeah, when Earth was being evacuated was the same time the Hemi vectors were created. So yeah. I have that as like somewhere between like five and ten years before Earth goes foom. A lot of refugees were evacuated from Earth as long as they could be turned into cat girls or dog boys. They were uh, they were transferred. Yep, none of that shiny sparkly stuff. Even though that would be very cool. Uh, none of that horrible pink skin either. <laughs> not that I'm judging. Not that I'm skinnest. And we and that period didn't last very long because shortly after the evacuation wave hit, uh, the Mars port was blown up in a nuclear attack. Yep, and that that right there helps explain for being highly ambiguous as to what information got saved. Yeah, physical media. There was only a short period of time where that would have made the jump easily. I feel safe in saying that almost all dork culture was preserved because Marsco's initial wave of scientists would have brought over the entire uh, Final Fantasy series, et cetera, et cetera. All the important stuff probably made it. Lots of sci-fi shows. 
Yeah, yeah. I think we'll have a, a generous representation of pop culture. And we do know that the Vector kids were watching like children's television when they were learning things. So that was there, that was in the air. But again, we can never know what actually made the jump. Except for something that could had really strong legs. That could make the jump from, from Earth to the lunar colony or Mars. I guess when the threat of nuclear war started raising its head, there would have been some urgency towards getting stuff off of Earth. So, yeah, they would have saved the 80s music at that point in time, thank God. <laughs> uh, not just 80s. Got to have, so, gotta have some of that bebop 90s. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't actually know what you're talking about, so I say we move on. So other key events in the timetable. We've got the Rabbit Revolution the uh, end of mankind and the gradual kind of fade out of mankind. Every time the vectors visited Earth, there was some sort of catastrophe that kind of set them back emotionally 50 years. And the single biggest one of those would have been the combined event of the Whisperwork ship launch, which happened like 200 years ago. An unexplained ship was launched from Terra, and then pretty soon afterwards the um, moon was destroyed. I think there was a hundred year break between those. Well, no, right? just a bit of correction. It was, uh, the ship launched and then they uh, sent uh, uh, vectors back to ex explore that bunker. And then, oh. uh, then they started experiencing symptoms. Oh, so what happened was the ship launched, this unexplained wreck ship launched from Terra. The vectors went to investigate. Oh yeah, they're right there. Would have bit me. And then the whispers invade and destroy Luna Colony. Yep. And I think that's probably the most foundational event of the last 200 years or so of Vector Society because that informs a lot of TTI's research and kind of gives us a sense of uh, hostility of the Here There Be Dragons that the title suggests. Scary, scary dragons in your blood! <laughs> um... I think that covers a lot of the major events. So do we just want to take a kind of a little tour of the history? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, let's try and keep this to under 15 minutes or people will fall asleep. I, I've seen them do it. And over here we have the map. Now, class, we're going to learn how to fly today. Pretend you're climbing a ladder for the next two years. Oh, shoot. What's that actor's name? The cute one? Or Ben Stein? Ben, ben Stein? Stein? Yeah, Ben Stein. You'll just have to deal with me instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so starting a whirlwind tour of HSD history, the next, so starting with about 2000 AD or so, the time that we're currently in as readers, a couple of, well, the rise of the information age is important here. We get the birth of the internet, the rise of a global culture, the World Wide Web, the mobile internet era, a lot of the stuff that kind of makes our society connected and lays the groundwork for the government versus corporation versus one world village sort of society that's developed in, in the early stages of Exundraconus's official history. And it's rather interesting how we're actually experiencing that kind of right now. Right. And when you look at a lot of um, other role-playing games like Shadowrun or GURPS or something like that, they have this awkward period of trying to establish their own timeline for kind of one world communication network and no one's going to get it right. Although we are kind of living it now. And then we have an unknown gap of time. 
You say 200 years, I say 130. Over the course of this period, kind of a true global village develops. And not like in M. Night Shyamalan's movie. There's going to be a twist ending later on, but it's it's whispers. <laughs> I'm sorry to give it away. Boom. So the next kind of short wave of vector history is the growing hostility between corporations and the Terran government. It starts out with the governments of Terra really kind of shutting down communication borders, trying to isolate populations and avoid the like large-scale communication network is slowly building. Whereas on the other hand, the corporations are kind of inculcating that, developing it, and building a non-governmental society for people to live in. And all of this feeds into ve- into the Vector's, quote, free market, unquote, world that they've created. I think Marsco's slogan even, or one of Marsco's mission statements is emphasizing this free market of ideas, a uh, place where we're not held accountable by the powers that be, which is a little ironic. Next, we develop the Geomat, which gives us the technology to ultimately explore space and build cities with a 3D printer. It's wonderful stuff. It is the bedrock for the mass market economy we enjoy here in the year 2750 or whenever. And the beginning of the science fiction age. Then I'm going to blow up Earth. No, protovectors. I think they're fascinating. This is a really volatile period in, in Terran history. There's a lot of genetics research being done. And one period that I think is really fascinating, it lasts um, maybe 30 or 40 years, is the creation of the protovector race, which is what I've been calling them. These are the kind of the non-sentient vector-like creatures that existed. And it's quite possible that spark- they may have made some sparkle dogs. I, almost certainly. I mean, they started with the griffins. They, they went straight from zero to hybrid without any like intervening space. So, yeah, absolutely. I think sparkle dogs would have been almost required. There was a period, I think, where vectors and the protovectors overlapped, and this exposure to things that looked very much like them but were non-sentient, drooling kibble eaters probably pushed the vectors away towards emphasizing civilization, emphasizing that we are not animals, that's kind of one of the reasons why maybe laterals always wear clothes, that sort of thing. So I think this exposure, this period, would have really shaped society towards a more human model. Yeah. And I think that, that overlap was about, was it eight, ten years? Or- That's about what I'm guessing. I mean, the numbers are not clear, and I don't even know if there were necessarily protovectors on Mars. But I think there would have been about like five or ten years as the last of the protovectors faded out. I guess the rise of Hydra is the next big thing. We'll talk about that. El Hydra. And that, and that happened after, yeah, that happened after Gen 2. So all of this kinds of leads up to the destruction of Earth and 0 AE, which is the beginning of the Vector's official history themselves. And one of the earliest events in that was the rise of Hydra, which pops up often in the rest of the timeline. A multi-headed digital beast. The first one was digital, and it's definitely got a lot of limbs. It kind of invades other areas of the timeline uh, throughout history, and even today, the the word, its strange runic language. It's kind of the representation of unknown evil in the game. 
and it is what throws the switch that triggers the nuclear holocaust ultimately. This is really just its first manifestation, and later on we'll see it raise its other heads. I just had a thought. It, it kind of... Re- Hydra, with it being able to reach everywhere, and then the strange cryptic language, along with whatever might be on Europa or in Europa, it, it, it kind of has a Cthulhu feel to it. Oh, absolutely, yes. This is cosmic horror, and it's the kind of Cthulhu horror that the game thrives on. Very much so. It's the thing from beyond. We don't even know what it is. We can only see its its effects on us. I think in um, in White Wolf they had the the worm in their Werewolf the Apocalypse game, but you could actually go and face that to some degree, and uh, like meet its lieutenants. There's nothing so approachable in HSD, and that that's good. That keeps the horror kind of behind a veil. And soon it will be revealed. And by soon, <laughs> it might be decades to centuries. Or maybe December. The uh, Kickstarter is doing really well. Woo-hoo! So skipping forward about 150 years or so, maybe, we don't really know. We're starting to get to this point where there are probably a lot of corporations. Seb has hinted at this in Discord. It mentions in the book once or twice. There's a period where no one really knows what's going on. And IRPF hasn't been created yet to enforce the blood feud rules that exist with Hot zones. It's a crazy period. Most of the major corporations haven't surfaced yet, and Marsco probably needs to spin its wheels really fast to keep itself as the leader in this area. I've been calling this kind of the the boom period because there's going to be a lot of corporate growth, and then eventually, kind of like a bubble, I think it's going to subside a little bit. So, a lot of the corporate craziness in HSD history probably trickles out of this period, which I feel like is, it's unknown when it begins, but it probably ends, oh, maybe 300 years after Earth. There's hints at a lot of megacorps in this period, and I'm hoping the lore book shows some more of that. And I think it was mentioned in Discord chat about another megacorp. Yeah, Lumen. That was it. Well, Lumen's really recent, but yeah, they're, they're the latest and greatest scary competitor. Um, I'd like to think that there's a megacorp co- that was called uh, Sevalicious. <laughs> are you the one? Are you the one that wanted uh, Station McStation Face for one of the names? They mentioned that in the uh, Kickstarter. No, that was either. Oh, I can't remember who that was. That was either Sammy or Daydreamer. So in this unregulated period where there's a lot of strange competition i get i think we get a lot of unusual corporations like the the two almost entirely cat owned feline owned corporations that fed into the rabbit race wars later on and um i definitely genotype is an artifact of this period that's the rat owned corporation that created the mouse race but yeah like uh genotype was pretty interesting made corp for coming up with the mice vectors, and then the mice eventually decided, ah, we've had enough of you. Down with their head. Rolling, rolling. The board was executed, and pretty much the CEOs, but what about the shadow president? Uh, For our listeners, what's a shadow president? 
the shadow president is the individual who is in charge of everything and can control anything and everything about their megacorp from minuscule little transaction all the way up to if the C if one of the CEOs is doing very poorly uh, could have that could have that CEO just disappear but no one knows who the shadow president is well that might have survived the mouse holocaust um I kind of wonder if Genotype is actually like completely dead because I, I find them fascinating as corporation. And just because you kill the CEO doesn't mean there's not shareholders out there somewhere. So I don't know, maybe he went on to um, work with other genetics projects or skip town and set up a shop in TTI or something like that. That's, that's kind of a compelling story though. We, that's a big unknown. I hadn't even thought of that. It all, they also could have been that it turned into something like the Illuminati uh, that we have today. Uh, we don't know if they actually still exist or not. If it's if they're just hiding in the background, controlling things, or if they actually did truly disperse. Hmm. So the secret shadow president of Genotype was presumably Adam Weishoft. Then I love this. <laughs> So the, the boom period, Sev hinted that maybe it was like a 150 or 200 year stretch. And towards the end of this period of corporate craziness, Marsco starts to really consolidate its rule. And one of the ways they do that is they spin off their security agency to form the IRPF and start consolidating the rules for blood feuds. No, start consolidating the rules for hot zones which tend to favor mega corporations, the ledger gets created. And I'm pretty sure the ledger just ends any sort of unregulated free market enterprise that actually existed in Exodraconus, if it existed at all. Those two tools, I think, will give Marsco a huge amount of help in just consolidating itself as the bastion of vector society and the main market control of the, of the universe. And then the biggest part of the boom at that end, from what I see of your notes, is the Kaksune, the launch failure. Yeah, I think that probably didn't help very much. That was um, ASR's attempt to create a new form of artificial life, and it failed miserably, really bad PR disaster. But all of that kind of corporate fiasco might have just been a staged event to keep the Kogsune under wraps and make them ASR secret weapon for the next 500 years or so. Conspiracies abound. And that's another place where the rats and mice story might be just too good to be true. So much of Exundraconus's history is written by the winners, written by the mega corporations, so they may just tell the story of this populist uprising to hide something else, like what happened to the shadow the shadow president. One of the things around this time period that was why I wanted to open up history as an idea at all was that Sev talked about the master's voice and I went to look it up and in the uh, in the main rule book when they talk about master's voice they suggest that it was discovered some 300 years after the end of man according to all records but that doesn't make any sense because why would it have taken so long for them to discover that if you play 
the soundtrack to the Wizard of Oz, people fall into a, a light trance. Sev suggests in the rule book that this is an indication that there's some deeper, darker history under what we know, because the suggestion of a weapon that can be used against vectors found 300 years after man was supposed to be destroyed suggests that maybe that was planted there for some better reason. Maybe there was a conflict with the humans that stretched much longer than anybody thought they did. Could have also, could have also been that the uh, governments were trying to throw in something that if they were to able to uh, take back control of Earth and all the corporations on Earth, they could stage a subtle to possibly a drastic takeover of the Marsco and the Vectors. Well, we do know that the um, the Master's Voice phenomenon, which is, uh, if you haven't read up on it, it's a, a light trance that affects Vectors when a undigitized human voice singing is played. Most Vectors... <laughs> That's not singing. <laughs> Most vectors fall for this. It's just kind of a, a vague hypnotic state. But uh, hemi vectors are immune. And those are the, the creatures that were created when humans tried to evacuate Earth. So, yeah, it's possible this is a weapon from some unreported segment of history. And, yes, it would have been the humans, the governments that were trying to create it in the first place. But that would imply that they were kicking around like 200 years after we thought they were gone. Oh, the history is lying to us. <laughs> Unless they figured out some somehow to take control of the fabric of tiny whiny. <laughs> I I think we're gonna have to wait for Lumen on that one. <laughs> Time travel is gonna mess up this setting no end. See, the next major arc of campaign time, I think, is kind of this age of exploration, which it's it's something about three hundred years after Mars was colonized. It starts getting too crowded, and the vectors look to spread to Venus and develop the colonies in Europa and Ganymede. So there's this kind of boom period of exploration, and I think this is going to be a great period for game masters to throw in historical setting games, because you've got space pirates versus space police. Uh, I think it's like a fine swashbuckling time. During this phase, the trade lanes are established between Venus and Europa Ganymede. Another thing that kicks off this period is is that Vectors develop a high-end power source that lets them really open up the solar system. So I think journeys become from like two years to two weeks, and the space of soul is no longer uncrossable. It's something that you can um, move across in a period of, well, plot time. And that lets uh, Vectors create a kind of societies spread out between four or five different worlds to go where no vector has gone before. <laughs> oh, and then they discover life under Venus. The high point of this of this period, I think, is, yeah, Strange New Worlds. They discover the monolith under the surface of Europa, which is the solar system's first evidence of alien life. One thing that Seb has established is that when this happens, it starts opening up people to kind of some strange spirituality and new ideas. This is the first time they face something deeply unknown they couldn't explain. And I think this really transforms Vector thought for a while. And, and when they go down to explore it... It just gets worse. <laughs> it's like, ah... And then, and then uh, it's like just before th uh, video feeds cut out, it's Hydra. 
<laughs> right back to the destruction of mankind 300 years ago. Here we start getting into more cosmic horror, and I think the game takes a less optimistic, darker twist in its timetable for, for some time. Which is actually sad because I, I, I when I was first reading up on Europa and its ocean and I discovered that monolith down below, before it started getting really creepy, I was hoping that I could actually go down there and explore it myself, but then it's like, I don't want to. No, that, not for PCs. <laughs> <laughs> Besides, there's giant horror whales down there. Well, and rework this however you want. It's your, it's your campaign. Oh, instead of giant horror whales, they're uh, fluffy manatees. Which serve tea, thus manatee. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't handle the puns. I got a lot of puns. Gonna be insufferable. So this kind of feeds into what I've been viewing as the transcendent era, which more or less extends to today. More or less, this is the area where the the period of uh, vector timetable where the unknown is taking the place of science as kind of a dominant psychological force. I think it's probably runs like 350, well, 450 years ago to the present in many ways. Vectors discover the monolith under the oceans of Europa. Very soon thereafter, uh, when was the first whisper? Uh, that was, yeah, that was when the ship launched from from Earth, and then they went to go Ooh. explore, and then when they went to go explore it, they got attacked by more palemen, and then they brought back something in their blood. Right, right, right. So about a hundred years or so after the discovery of the monolith, TTI is doing experiments with it, they're learning how to talk with it, and then we meet the whispers. I'm sure there's not a direct causal relationship between those ideas. And this is when we should start whispering the whole rest of the show. Gonna adjust my levels now. <laughs> so maybe 250 years ago or so, a ship is launched from Terra, no one knows the cause, and it kicks off a return to Earth, ultimately leading to the destruction of Luna Colony. Explorers returning from Earth to Luna uh, bring something in their blood. This something explodes outward in a, an alien horror fest that wipes out the colony. We're listening to their recording screams over Solnet. It's really terrible. And I think this is a place where the morale of the vector species, which has been fairly positive over the whole exploration age, really craters, and we enter a very dark period. Yep. But yeah, reading, reading over that section still gives me the creeps. Yeah, it's, it's super dark, and really a fairly positive species is kind of plunged into this dark unknown void. Conveniently, if you're trying to map out the timetable of vector history, there's like 200 years where not a lot happens, and it starts here. This kind of makes me think, assuming intentionality in the history timetable, that there is a period of just slowdown in society as vectors stop and regroup. We know that a lot of religions spawn during this time period, too, which opens up strange cults that TTI has to deal with on their own. Just very Ghostbusters campaign elements there. Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra, as they all chanted. No, that sounds like the football games at my old school. <laughs> the the Nephilim Codex is published during this time period. Uh, this is going to be released in the lore book that you can see samples from it on on uh, the HSC Tumblr account. 
this is kind of the Bible of TTI, a very strange brooding and again Lovecraftian text that combines science and parascience and weird mysticism and crystal laving and kind of this idea of strange unknown gods just creeps out of this period as well those are the nephilim thus well i was going to say thus far we don't know anything about them yet but they're in a book that hasn't been published so no we wouldn't that makes sense so yeah but yeah like during this whole quiet period tti is just having fun doing doing their thing while was it the yeah the cat rabbit race war as a as a cover huh okay that's interesting but so cat rabbit hmm. race war on top with the lunar depression seems like a whole lot of nothing going on just a, the the destruction of the luna colony has about 30,000 plus individuals it might not seem like much but it would actually possibly affect the uh, overall economy the soul economy just the depression alone I mean if you if you were paying attention to the news and such during the September 11th 2001 attacks the recession that followed for several years kind of spun out of that it was this period of tanked morale and low profitability stemming from this major national catastrophe so absolutely even if the scale of the lunar colony was not that huge the ripples through vector society could have been quite large and i think that then you were suggesting that some later stuff the rabbit race wars that followed maybe 50 years later could have been a shadow under which tti was able to create some new activity so maybe that was just a distraction thrown up in this kind of parahistory i had speculated that instead of the Rabbit Race Wars being just sparked out of randomness. It was actually a uh, calculated move on someone's part. Yep. Possibly uh, staged uh, and helped staged by TTI. But things may have gotten out of the hand out of that afterwards. Not ex not doing exactly what they expected, or at least they, well, they expected it to be a huge distraction, but it they didn't expect it to get as out of hand as it did. So going over our estimates of the timeline of Ixod Draconis, from about maybe 250 years past to maybe 50 years past, Transcendent Technology is really the main player on the stage. They're developing the TTI implants, which are basically magic, and they're a new corporation that's consolidating their rule, so it's a lot of megacorp fluctuation. So it's not out of the question to blame anything that happens during this time period on TTI partially or maybe entirely. The rabbit race war, we don't know how big it was because there's so many unknowns in this game, but it was created when, allegedly it was created when the feline race, the felidae, were kind of looking for a, a nationalist scapegoat to vent their energy on. Really very similar in certain ways to uh, modern Earth's Brexit situation, looking looking for some group to uh, scapegoat. And they turned towards rabbits because rabbits are obviously pretty harmless. It's not like they have hair trigger reflexes and can wield a gun really well. So yeah, the race, the race wars followed created about 50 years of slump for the felines, the felidae, a lot of kind of well, more negative energy. And overall, I think just kind of added to the dark tone of this period, the, the, this kind of slump from maybe 
400 AE to maybe 650 AE, I don't know. And the kind of brings us roughly up to the modern era, the last 100 years or so, which is mostly shaped by these huge unknowns that TTIs unleashed on the world. We have this threat of the whispers, the sudden suggestion of possibly alternate worlds that transcendent technology opens up, and most recently, uh, as in not even published yet, we have Luna or Lumen enter the scene, which is a new corporation throwing lightspeed technology and miniaturization and other space magic wizardry around. So it seems like the general tone of uncertainty and almost a religious state of unknowing is going to continue into the immediate future in Vector Society. Do you believe in magic? I think you have a choice. There's no choice. It's there. It's for sale. Please sell this magical elixir. Buy it. Buy it. Let's see. Go over my notes for a few minutes. As I'm floating up around here, you have some really nice looking vents. Vents? Air, the, the air vents. The air ducts. Oh. No, they're, yeah. Uh, we're going to have to dust up there eventually, so keep the fur out. Maybe we'll just vacuum flush him next time. Is there anything you want to talk about or open up? So one one question I have is, and this is totally unanswerable, but maybe the lore book will have some suggestions, is are we going to be entering a new age for the vectors? It feels like the last 50 years has been very stagnant. There hasn't been a lot of new discoveries, and Lumen opening up the really the rest of the solar system may change that significantly. If, it, if we can move at the speed of light, even if it's expensive, we can start getting into the outer solar system and then perhaps into the outer darkness beyond that, which, again, opens up more low-crafting possibilities. I don't know. Traveling through the big, big, bleak, black darkness of space. Sounds fun. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't know what's out there. Um, thus far, the HSD role-playing game has been fairly locally centered. It hasn't left the solar system. If light speed moves at the speed of light, it's still a four-year journey to the nearest planet, but that is... It'd be a very different direction for the game. What if, what if we discover that our solar system is not really just a solar system for us to live in and whatnot. There's all sorts of creepy stuff in it. What if it, the, uh, what if each galaxy is just one big giant neuron and we're inside the head of a giant being? <laughs> that would be a rules expansion. <laughs> So one, one point that I think would be fun for maybe historical gaming or just to get some questions answered is towards the end of the corporate boom period where they were trying to settle the rules, I think around there is where um, Spyglass had been created because Spyglass is the free market corporation, which when I first read the rule book, I thought, okay, well, a corporation that's pro-free market in a game that's basically a free market paradise. That doesn't make any sense. But when you know more about how the, when you know more about how Mars Coast kind of consolidated its rule and how the megacorps dominate everything, having a corporation that's focused on free market enterprise actually makes a heck of a lot of sense. And I'd be curious to see how Spyglass interacted with the, I guess the birth of the world we have now were they like a rebel movement against Marsco? 
were they created because someone exposed some dark secrets behind Marsco's operation? Were they some corporation that was totally burned in a blood feud and had to get their vengeance? Uh, again, we don't know, but it seems like Spyglass and Progenitus shortly thereafter were created during this period where Marsco started setting, setting itself up on a pedestal where the other megacorps were just saying, well, yes, we're going to be the powers that be from now on. And there was a period where maybe a romantic, romantic rebellion took place. That'd be very French. <laughs> I like that. I, I do too. I, I think a French romantic rebellion. <laughs> okay. I'm changing my rules about what species we allow into the studio from now on. Oh, <laughs> sad otter face. But yeah, it's like Spyglass is very intriguing. Enigmatic. Enigmatic, yeah, about their policies. And even the name itself is an enigma. It's like spy glass. Spy. <laughs> what is a spy? And why is there glass involved? And the thing that the thing that comes to mind with spy glass is two-way mirrors. Uh, I can see that. Well, and we never know what's really behind the behind the, the uh, curtain. And why would a corporation that's there to undermine the rules be allowed to exist, period? I mean, that's uh, an open question. What could be behind the curtain is a sad little letter. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> well, one, one thing I'd like to know is... How did TTI exactly capture a whisper? Or did they capture a whisper? We have their word for it. Capture may not be the right word either. Because what the only logical thing that I can think of if they actually did uh, capture, air quotes, a vector, I mean, whisper, I just kind of gave it away, Woo! is they instead uh, got a hold of an infected vector before, before the vector popped. No, that makes sense. Um, there is someone alive that would actually know how that how that happened. I can't remember his name, but one of the oldest vectors in vector history was alive for those initial whisper attacks. So he might know. Heck, it might be him. Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we we only in so many of these stories, we really only have the corporate's word for it, and. TTI claims to have captured a whisper. We don't know what that means. We only know that before then they were working on talking with the monolith. And after that, they started unleashing all of these strange technologies on the world. Something in between there happened. We don't know that they captured a, a whisper necessarily. They may have just gotten some good business negotiations with one. Wait, wait, wait. But, so they did They did some business with a whisper instead? Well, I'm just throwing that out there in, in terms of possible conspiracies for your campaign. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe, maybe every piece of TTI tra uh, transcendent technology, the whispers get a small royalty back. <laughs> royalty in cosine blood. No, no, no. You know, they get TTI shares. <laughs> shares as in vectors themselves. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, maybe. <laughs> See, the, the foundation of IRPF would be a fun place to play in as well, because you've got a lot of cop versus cop period. Marsco is going to be trying to uh, enforce allegiance from their old security group that became IRPF. People are going to try to, vectors are going to be learning what it means to fight for multiple corporations at the same time, to be 
fighting for the highest bidder or for the person that's paying your paycheck that week. That would be a place where IRPF has to build their identity, learn how to be loyal to their corporation and still support their mission. So you can have a lot of interesting ethical conflicts surrounding that. And that's during the entire like age of expansion. So a good 70 years of experimentation of the new worlds of Europa and Ganymede opening up. And then the open question of what does it mean to be an officer of the law in a society that has no law. So another fun kind of exploration period. Which brings up an interesting question. Yes. Is earpuff an actual insult? So I'm going to end there. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> okay. I think we've officially reached the insanity horizon. So I'm going to wrap up this talk right now. Calgren, <laughs> thank you so much for making the journey up here. It's been great having you with us. And uh, uh, catch you outro line. You behave yourself and pie hug. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Tronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.